Welcome to the Makom Israel Teachers Lounge podcast, where we connect students and listeners with Israel by discussing and exploring current events and relevant issues. I am your host, Michael Unterberg, here as always with co-host Alan Goldman. How are you, Alan? Modim l'simcha, Mike. Modim l'simcha. We are recording this on, uh, today is Tuesday. Yes. The first day of Cholom Sukkot in Israel. Sukkot in Israel. Second day Yantif in Israel. Outside of Israel. Correct. Uh, although that is definitely not when you were listening to it, because <laughs> we come out on Thursdays. Yes. Um, our topic for today is the uh, pretty big mess going on to our north in Syria, uh, the fate of the Kurds, and what the, but primarily what all of this new situation means for Israel. We are, without uh, going into prophecy, based on what's happened already, what can we determine? Now, again, we're recording this on Tuesday morning. So I don't think it even pays to go into an up-to-the-minute what is the news up to no. because they'll, listeners, it'll be two days later. And it's a very rapidly changing situation. Right. But can you just give us sort of an overall sense of what happened, Alan? Sure. Do you mind if I digress for a second before we get into the heavy subject? Sure, go ahead. And talk about what was like the main topic on the news this morning, mm-hmm. which was the rain and thunderstorms we got last yeah, night. yeah. And how I love being in Israel during a holiday, during a Chag. Um, because, first of all, so the, the first part, the first everybody comes on, says, Modim l'simcha, right. which is a traditional greeting, which is uh, a joyful festival, right? right. A right? A intermediate days uh, greeting. So I love that. Even and, the commercials yeah. on the radio are for like... Things you can do on Cholomoy with your family, yeah. you know. And the and on two different stations I listened to, the main, like, one of the main people they were interviewing were the weather yeah. people. <laughs> because Israel is obsessed when the weather comes. Of course, it comes on a festival, and Sukkot, we're out in our Sukkot, so that becomes an issue. Well, and there's a discussion, well, is this, you know, is this a good thing or a right. bad thing because of the because, Mishnah? Yeah. And, oh, no, but no, it's not. It's okay because that's only referring to the first night, and it was a second night. Yeah, I mean, it's not, these are not religious, no. these are not rabbis hosting these shows. We listen, we're listening to the secular news show, yeah. And on mine, the guy said, well, I know traditionally it's seen as a bad sign from yeah. God, but rain in Israel is always useful. So when he turned to the weather woman, should we expect more? And she said, either it will or it won't rain right. more. And he but, laughed out right. loud. <laughs> yeah. and, the, and they said, I don't want hearts. Oh, I don't want lectures. Right. 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 Oh, we were listening to the yeah, station. It's that one. I, I switched over to, uh, uh-huh. to Reshet Bed, Reshet Bed, Con yeah. 11, whatever it's called. Anyway, so the other thing I liked about that, 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 that the other discussion was, is every year there's a big discussion on the rain. Is it the yore? Mm-hmm. Right, the yoreh, the word yoreh shows up in for us a daily in the Shema, mm-hmm. in the that we say in a daily in the second paragraph of the Shema, where it's called the yoreh, the malkosh. Right. The yoreh is the first rain of the season. The malkosh is the last rain of the season, mm-hmm. because of course in Israel it rains between Sukkot and Pesach. That's the kind There's of idea. There's a fixed rain season. It doesn't really rain in yeah, the summer, which is between the fall and the and the spring. So the whole discussion is: Is this that rain? So then she goes into details of what is considered a yoreh and how mm-hmm. much is considered the first rain in that mm-hmm. last night. It wasn't, but we'll have to wait to see today. It's, it, Which many it Israelis refer to as dirty rain because it cleans up a lot of dust that was in the atmosphere yeah. and it comes in, it leaves this muddy residue behind it. On your car. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> everything, but especially on your windshield is where yes. you notice it the most. And the car. Anyway, yeah. so I just wanted, I, I just have to... Oh, it was part of the joy of feeling. Yeah. It's not only the joy of feeling the seasons as they pass in Israel and seeing that everybody is plugged into the same... Uh, tradition, but that you're you're going through the same cycles as your ancestors. That that you recognize words from the Bible in right. on the radio being used 
in the same context for the same relevance. And, and that that it makes sense in the context of living in Israel, where it doesn't necessarily make sense in the context outside of Israel. The 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 literature, the uh, the the prayers, they don't make as much sense necessarily outside of Israel because it's supposed to be connected to the time frame. And the place of the geography of Israel. Yeah, you can so, figure out what it means as right. a historical in- source of interest if you're interested in the history of the Jews. Exactly. But here, it doesn't it matter if you care about life. It for history. It's yeah. your daily life. The yeah. the these biblical and 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 Talmudic references are your daily life. Refer- yeah. They're discussed on the news. On the news. Yeah. So I I love that. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that wears off. Like yeah. I and I think nope. that I think for many sabras it doesn't wear. Like it's just it, it's hard to take for granted. Something that astonishing, uh, a, a renaissance of of a national life that brings history back right. to life for us. I mean, it reflect it 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 resonate, re- resonates um, with a discussion we had, which we're going to release a little bit later with uh, Shmuel, Shmuel Rosner, Rosner. Yeah, um, about what it means to be like uh, Jewish and Israeli. Yeah, but that that so, episode's you know, not. We're going to release. I'll say we're going to release yeah. it later, and so that's something a very to look exciting episode to. about. Yeah. yeah, what the Renaissance means to creating a new kind yeah. of Jew. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so now we get back to your topic, which is a little bit more oh, man. less simcha, yeah. less joy, on, okay. on less well, joyful. Yeah, less joyful. well, but we have to be honest about uh, the yeah. world that we live in and the region that we live in. So, uh, if we say so, you ask for an update. What is it? So, well, let's just Not get exactly. a, a context. Let's yeah. get a context, and the context is is really the the changes that have happened in the Middle East since 2011, which was originally dubbed the Arab Spring. Um, but, you know, I think we could call that as kind of a fake news a title. A premature nomenclature, <laughs> I would prefer to say, because oh, very fake nice. news uh, is a complicated... Uh, for those of you who don't understand those words like me, so... <laughs> yeah, it was... Just, uh, it, 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 they, they named it for a hope of what it would become, and right. it didn't. Right, it, right. Except for Tunisia, which still has a somewhat stable democracy. Where it started, which was yeah. the idea that the Middle East would start moving over to democratic mm-hmm. structures. And sort of the Bush which, administration's... Hope that when they invaded Iraq, it would trigger a domino of of uh, of totalitarian regimes falling and a replacement with democratic states. Right, and so as Mike said, really Tunisia is the only one where that the sort of the Arab Spring started really um, ha- has kept on track of that. The rest of the Arab world um, has Egypt reset to descended, zero essentially yeah, has descended into different different formats. Some of them. Have come out of it in the same place like Egypt, but Syria particularly is the one where Libya and Yemen tore themselves apart. They're right. both They're train still, wrecks, and Yeb and Yemen is still in the midst of a civil war. Correct. Syria, which is was in the midst of a civil war, which seemingly was over, um, with yeah. uh, especially with the taking down of ISIS that came up in the Syrian vacuum between Syria, Iraq, and um, and, a, and a surviving but but diminished Syrian state yeah. under uh, Assad, right being. Be bolstered up significantly by the Russians. Right. Um, That's at, that. That that is probably the worst catastrophe in the Middle East. If we talk about, if we're talking about quantitatively the numbers of deaths and displacements, we're talking about half a million deaths. Yemen. About, Yemen's going to give it a run for its right. Event for sure. Half a million deaths. Um, about six million refugees and six million internally displaced people. It, it, it is really a mess. We, that uh, had finally more or less settled and quieted down into an uneasy. Right. Status quo, not peace, not, no, no. But, but not also, agreed upon. But also with the reinforcement of the Assad regime um, over most of Syria, again with the Russians. And that that seemed about six months ago seemed to be where it was going to hold for a while. Now, this northern area, though, right. 
That's what we're was talking more about or less under Kurdish control, taking over some of the area that ISIS. I call it Kurdish autonomy, right? So it's semi-autonomy. Right. I mean, not, it's not a state, uh, right? It's not a state, and we I, th- I think we have to really reinforce what we talk about in our class when we talk about the Middle East is that it's not monolithic, and you know, mm-hmm. it's not like Jews and Arabs. I mean, meaning right. there there are many different ethnic groups, mm-hmm. many different religious groups. Um, and lots of different cultures that are interacting, and in and Syria, each of those each of those ethnic groups have many groups within them. Correct. It's a little bit like here in the Middle East. You very often hear people talk about Americans. If you live in America, you feel America is such a divided country with so many different interests and so many different cultures. You know, southern, you know, the coastals and the Midwest. Right. Whereas here in the Middle East, it's like, oh, America is this monolithic thing. When you're on the outside things look much simpler. When you're on the inside, you understand the complexity. Right. So that's the way the Middle East too. And we, even when we talk about something like the Kurds, which is an often overlooked ethnic minority in the Middle East, you're talking about multiple subgroups, right. not only based on region, but even uh, to a certain extent religion and po- certainly political, political outlook. Yeah, aspiration. aspiration. Yes. This is a complicated right. part of the world that Westerners find very difficult to unravel that I don't, I certainly don't claim right. to have a full grasp of as I, maybe a native might. Right. I don't, again, you know what, uh, you know what strikes you really. Yeah. And so of course the Kurd issue is coming up, but for, for Israel, just as a, uh, we'll get back into that. But of course, just remember that Syria is our Northern neighbor and, and Syria is the only uh, holdout of our neighbors from the, from since the the beginning of the state, that we still do not have uh, uh, any kind of peace agreement. We are really if you technically count Lebanon still as at, a wing of Syria. Oh, that's right. right. Is that true? Lebanon, right? Good, good call. Right. Um, but basically, we're still at a, officially at a state of war with Syria, and yeah. we, you know, have been bombing in Israel in Syria for the last few years to yeah. the different strongholds to keep it down. But get back to and the to Kurds. Keep Iran out. Yeah, the Kurds are the largest minority in Syria. They're somewhere between a million and two million people. And as Mike said, they are really focused on the northern side, which it borders with Turkey. Um, and, we're and, part of the, and we're part of the initial revolution against Assad. They yeah. took part in trying to overthrow Assad to achieve their own and especially And, and they, they were, I think, again, uh, neither of us are professing to be as experts in this, but I think that they were sort of the leading democratic forces, some mm-hmm. of the Kurdish they were really at least calling themselves democratic, right? And that's what seemed to be their well, political aspirations. They, but. The, the, this, and I, and I don't want to get into the alphabet soup of the right. different Kurdish militias and, exactly. and groups, but in this particular group, they're fairly egalitarian. Half the fighters are women. The the When the Americans worked with them to defeat ISIS, the American troops and these Kurdish troops found themselves very much uh, sharing common values and, and uh, certainly a common mission, but... Grew, you know, relatively very, very well aligned, and with yeah. that, uh, and with the Kurds' help, the main fighters on the ground, um, they were able to defeat ISIS. This is after once the smoke more or less cleared with yeah. Assad. The United States came in and worked with these Kurds to defeat ISIS, which had grown up and taken over a huge right. chunk of northern Syria. And and really, that what the ISIS declared their caliphate, a very strong part of it was in this area that we called Kurdish controlled areas. Raqqa. Raqqa was the capital, which is in these areas that uh, the controls. Now, if you go to the other border with Syria, which is Turkey, they've had a long-standing conflict with uh, with Kurds who are in Turkish areas. Turkish Kurds. Turkish Kurds um, 
who have wanted uh, independence and fight for self-determination and independence, which since, we... Since World War One, Yeah. Since they've been fighting since, you know, again, World War One, And the the Turks see it as a threat to their to their regime and have fought against the Turkish uh, Kurds and see now that this sort of autonomous area within Syria is a threat because they're lumping all the Kurds together, first of all. Um, and second of all, again, this idea of a Turkish... Uh, sort of a Kurdish self-determination, uh, either autonomous or independent right. area, is a threat in Turkey's mind to its uh, its capital. And again, and, and and we to, have to remember that Turkey is a member of NATO, right. which is the North Atlantic Treaty. North Atlantic Treaty Organization. Organization, thank you. The Alliance of the Western States. The Cold War. War you know, Post-Cold War, you know, yeah. Europe and and America. Of course, it's grown since the fall of the Soviet Union. But Turkey has been a, mem- a good standing member of that for a long time. Well, Turkey was both a country that was majority Muslim, but traditionally before Erdogan, very solidly democratic, worked yeah. very well with Europe, worked very well with Israel. Correct. The Turkish army, which is the second largest NATO army after the United States, uh, used to do training with the IDF right. together because they were an open ally of Israel and very the, the part of the idea of the revolution in Turkey a hundred years ago where they overthrew the Ottoman Empire was to modernize and make Turkey a modern nation state. Right. And just to again to give you an insight into the this this complication and the and the um, different groups, are Turks Arabs? No. Right. Oh my heavens no. Right. Just like often we hear from our students, oh Iranians, those Arabs which, of course, is not no, true. No, Iranians no. are Arabs. You can't lump together Muslim and Arab. Arab is an ethnicity. Yeah. Muslim is a is a religion. Now, of course, there's it's not always that black and white either. Right. There are crossovers, and the way we define religion today is not the way necessarily religion we talk correct. about that a lot as, Jude, as Jews and Judaism. But it's but, a fact that not all Arabs are Muslim, correct. although most Arabs are Muslim. Correct. But not most Muslims are Arab. There are more correct. non-Arab Muslims than Arab Muslims. It, exactly. So... So the Turks are are Turkish, yep. and with uh, the major religion being Islam. But although there, again, are, there are Turks other, of other religions, exactly. Yeah. And then, the, and the, so they see the Kurds as the threat, which the Kurds is an ethnic group. Mm-hmm. Um, and by national, the way, ethno-national group. And sorry, by the way, there are just as in all groups, there are. We said before, there are different political persuasions. Right. You have uh, more diplomatic, nonviolent approaches to for even among the Kurds who are fighting for autonomy, right. some say we have to use nonviolent. And then you have groups that have been classified by the international community as terrorist organizations to achieve Kurdish independence. Right. So the the Kurds themselves are a complex mix of different approaches. So when yes. Turkey says, you know, we're afraid of Kurdish terrorism, there is a sympathetic ear in the West of, well, that is actually a problem. There, there are Kurdish groups that the that America and Turkey yeah. jointly see as terrorist groups. Yeah, um, not the people who fought with the Americans exactly. Right, but they're seen by Turkey as a sister group right. to those. But but again, there are so, connections. So it's it, again, it's it's all this very complicated thing. But in the end of the day, what happens is is what happened is that for quite a while now, since basically ISIS has been um, conquered by these. Kurds with the help of the United States. Question is, okay, what happens to the American troops? Right. Um, and the, the American with the American it, who are in in this area of Syria, northern Syria. The Americans played a very clever role in the defeat of ISIS, which is they put as few American lives on the line. They backed up and supported mostly Kurds, not only Kurds but other Arab groups as well, to defeat ISIS. 
The Kurds suffered over, I think, 11,000 losses, it's estimated. And the Americans, very, very few. So that by having, we had the Kurds back and they went into the dangerous situation and they led the fight against ISIS. And then in order to uh, keep them protected from Turkey, who wants to eliminate them, the Americans kept a small force, which wasn't particularly active in ongoing, a little bit, but they're basically there as sort of, as sort a of the te- yeah, the teacher in the recess yard. In other words, there are bullies and there are, uh, you know, weak kids. And the and the the uh, the the U.S. forces are there. Turkey's not going to invade while there's U.S. forces there. Right. So they're basically there as a buffer. And and if we remember, really, uh, this goes way to way really the being of Obama, mm-hmm. which is the President Obama's administration, which basically um, started the withdrawal of U.S. troops from the Middle East. Mm-hmm. Um, that And that's also, you know, what's happened a bit in, in Syria and all these other places. And, and For some um, reason, there was a sense after World War II that American troops would, be, would have to be left in places to keep the peace. And sort of if you keep small groups, you know, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. It's good to leave troops in Germany, in, in Eastern, on the border with Eastern Europe. Uh, in the Korean War in the 50s, it's mm-hmm. good to leave American troops along the DMZ in North Korea. It's good to leave American troops in the Pacific in general. If we keep Vietnam Ameri- going in, right? That's well, that, so that was we, an uptake. That's a- that, well, that was part of it. But then eventually yeah. in 75, we left Vietnam exactly. entirely. But the idea of leaving American troops stationed in places, it's it, now. Many people around the world who weren't American saw that as a form of neo-colonialism, of exporting American power. But America saw it as the Pax Americana. We're going to keep a stable country. Peacekeepers. Peacekeepers. Now, the police of the world is the the term people use. Doing that in the Middle East has been very complicated. The Bush administration tried to obviously very much expand that role into much more active (laughs) intervention in the Middle East. That has problems. And then it became this idea of how do you calibrate the right number for the right mission? Uh, Ob- the Obama administration decided that you needed some in Afghanistan, not as many in Iraq. Mm. The Obama administration was very late into introducing troops into Syria until really ISIS had a very strong hold in what right. was going on in Syria. Then that was the didn't use the ounce of prevention. Now comes the pound of cure. Mm. And then that, ro- that, that group of American troops in Syria has been diminishing over time. I don't know the exact numbers because you keep seeing different ones. This that northern Syria area, some were saying there were as few as fifty, which I find impossible to believe. Yeah. But uh, a, vi- a thousand was more. You don't need hand. many. What yeah. you need is enough there that they can basically keep themselves safe. And in this situation, it was this way: Turkey won't invade to kill the Kurds because to do that, they'd have to step over the Americans, and they're not going to start a war with the United States, right. even a symbolic presence. Yeah. So, so that was the thing, and that changed. That has been changing, and and President Trump had decided that you know um, his, of course, one of his big campaign promises was to get out of places we don't need. Basically, America is not going to be the peacekeeper of the war right. anymore of the world anymore. We don't. Why should we put our we don't benefit troops at from risk, that. Right, right risk? What do we get from that? And so last week, I don't know, my weeks are really Well, he's tried this because, before. General Mattis, yeah, his secretary correct. of defense, resigned, resigned. over the, his – Trump has always wanted to do this. Mattis explained to him that it is in America's natural interest because it keeps – a quiet Middle East is in America's right. security interest. Take a look at 9-11. If you leave if – you, if, you, if things flare up in the Middle East, there's going to be – so it's good to keep a small amount and, and, and more fundamentally – 
Mattis continues to say, America's security is based on strong alliances. And if you fiddle with that, if you show that America isn't going to um, support its allies, then you're leaving all the fighting to the Americans. Exactly what happened in northern Syria, where the Kurds basically defeated ISIS, that won't be able to happen anymore. From now on, we're going to have to send American boots on the ground to get anything done because nobody's going to trust the United States. President Trump... A week ago, on a call with Recep Erdogan, who has turned Turkish, the Turkish, not only away from democracy, but to a much more pro-Islamist, Islamist state. fundamentalist, yeah, fundamentalist country. It no longer, I mean, to say it no longer. Can you imagine Turkey today doing the Turkish military doing a joint exercise with the Israeli military? Yeah. I mean, the tensions are extremely high. There was an attempted coup. A couple years ago. An overnight attempted coup that ended up with Erdogan coming out on top and crushing his political opposition. I think Turkey today should be seen, if if as an ally, sort of like what Pakistan eventually became, which is a necessary ally because you need them for certain things, but they're very unreliable and they're often working with with your enemy. Uh, but I mean, that's almost how people are starting to look at America, right? An unreliable ally. Yeah. Um, you know, because well, people want a stability. When governments want a stability. They know that you know they make agreements or whatever that they're that's going to carry through. And this kind of change throws in uh, a huge um, a, 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 a huge wrench into that idea. Yeah. How can, how far can you trust? I mean, in the, I think it, Israel itself is asking that question now. You see, you know, that's the commentaries in the paper. Well, what? Well, who you know, can trust America? Who knows that they're not going to turn on their coin tomorrow? Yeah, which is, um, I think, an important thing for every country to realize about every ally. In reality, yeah. we rely on these things being forever, and none of them are. None of them are, and that's, that's we've talked a lot about this on this podcast, about real politics. Yeah. But I think it gets really into the core of the problem here with for the Kurds, which is that idea, self-determination. Yeah. That when you have self-determination, when you're not dependent on others, when you can make your own decisions, when you can import your own arms, when you can, when you are a, a state that recognizes state among others, then you have, uh, so, again, nobody has complete control, but some control of of your future and your defense and your and your nation. Um, you and, are and your, that's yeah. You are your own priority. You are nobody else's first priority. Yeah. And so you need allies. It's a it's a devil's bargain. You have to work with others. If you're a small, let's say a small na- na- national ethnic group in the Middle East, you need help from outsiders. But that may have to shift based on who you're working with, yeah. because which is exactly what the Kurds are doing now. Those northern Kurds are turning to Bashar al-Assad, their enemy, <laughs> who, yeah. who they participated to overthrow. They are now saying, well, we don't have the Americans. The, the the Turkish invasion, the spearhead of the Turkish invasion of this Kurdish area is not being led by the Turkish military. It's the Turks are allowing militias that are Arab Islamist associated with various terrorist groups to lead their invasion of the Kurdish territory. And they are perpetrating exactly the kind of horrific war crimes that you would expect groups like that. I mean, I think, you know, we often talk about, you know, the lesson that we as the Jews learned um, in World War II, which was obviously not the spark for Zionism, but it was certainly the it proved Proof. point. It proved the point, and I, I, you know we certainly see this in the commentators in Israel itself. But what you know, our 
uh, our argument, if you go back, Jabotinsky says it very clearly. Everybody deserves self-determination. Yeah. That's the whole basis, the whole fundamental basis of the right of Jews to declare a state right. in their national homeland. So we have a moral obligation here in terms of the Kurds. Um, and you know, the prime minister yeah. announced that whatever humanitarian aid we can offer yeah. to the Kurds, we can't necessarily weigh the Israeli army into this fracas, but whatever humanitarian aid we can provide to the Kurds, the state of Israel has officially offered to support and help the Kurds. I th- yeah. I mean, I think there were reports before that Israel was secretly helping some of the Syrian rebels, including f- the Kurds. Yeah. And I think that you, when you talk about it, the... Um, Again, we're not to get too into the mud here, but the truth is this whole alliance between Turkey, Syria, and Iran mm-hmm. and Hezbollah in Lebanon is a threat to Israel directly. Yeah. That becomes a threat to Israel directly. And the Kurds are on our side of this as the Saudi Arabians and the, right? Ironically, um, and as the Gulf Assad, Assad may end up being yeah. helping Israeli interests by yeah. pushing the Kurds back and allowing the right. Kurds some degree of safety. Assad may be the stabilizing force now. He was the decent. He, right. he may now become the stabilizing force in the region. Which how these complicated things flip over. But I think that the The object lesson, I think, yeah. of the Kurds is you need autonomy without autonomy, you are in danger. Yes. If you don't control your own fate, your fate is always in the hands of others. Yes. And that should be unacceptable to any group. Uh especially groups that have enemies lined up against them to crush them and kill them, as the Kurds do from Turkey, Iran, Iraq, and Syria. That is not a group. If you're in the Middle East, you cannot afford to rely on anyone, on anyone. Uh, What this will do to destabilize the region long-term, you know... We have to wait and see. Yeah, look, I think the president of the United States, who's getting opposition from his own party did like sort of a checkers move in a game of three-dimensional chess. And what'll come from this, I don't know. The resurgence, I I, I don't know. But in terms of Israel, Israelis are shaken that an American policy would be to turn on an ally like this. And, and, And the lesson of the Kurds is we will have to turn to somebody who was our enemy and make friends with him because a friend we thought we could rely on we now see was unreliable. And Israelis are taking that to heart. Yeah. So, of course, on sukkahs, the whole idea is to look up at the, the top of your sukkah, the schach, because in the end of the day, we know that uh, we only have so much uh, well, <laughs> control listen, in this world. So. Or to put it in a non-sukkah <laughs> context, I think the rabbis or Jewish writers express their idea of this political uh, problem in on Pesach with Chad Gadya, the idea mm-hmm. that we live in a world where the weak get consumed by the strong, the strong get by the stronger, and the strong by the stronger, and the stronger. And ultimately, uh, these traditional religious Jews said, and really it's God on top of the whole thing, and you have to, he's the only source of comfort. So it's, it's, a, it's a complex surprise. The Middle East is a complex, multi-shifting world. I think I want to emphasize one more time before we end, the idea that America can manage this successfully to tranquility and a positive world in the Middle East is is obviously nuts. America can't make the Middle East great again. But America does need to play a positive, constructive role. And here, I don't know that it has. It's, this is going to, this is chaos. 
And we'll see. Okay. All right. We'll wait and see. Yeah. We'll have to do we'll have to check in about it later. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks so much, Alan. Thank you, Mike. And thanks so much, Ben, for engineering us to the end of the episode, which this is. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to the Macomb Israel Teachers Lounge podcast. Don't forget to share, subscribe, rate, and review. Join us next time. <laughs>